Hi there, and welcome to One Body, One Life, proudly sponsored by Jamae's Fine Foods. I'm Vicky Nguyen, and I'm on a personal mission to live to 120, and I would absolutely love to take you on this journey with me. This fortnightly show is focused on longevity and understanding how we can all live longer and stronger through diet, exercise, lifestyle, nutrition, and so on. Each episode, we will uncover tips and tricks to living your healthiest and happiest life for as long as physically possible. I'll be chatting to the experts as well as people who have defied the odds and explore various treatments and modalities to help us all reach optimal wellness. In today's episode, I interview Brisbane-based sexologist Lauren White. Lauren is a qualified nurse, a counsellor, a sexologist, also known as a sex god, a devoted mama, a taboo conversationalist, an avid writer, and a lounge room dancer extraordinaire, which I can totally relate to. Lauren specialises in sex therapy for women, so today we explore how sex can help you live a more fulfilling, happier, healthier, and potentially longer life. So welcome to the show, Lauren. Thanks, Vicky. Great to be here. Excellent. So, I mean, obviously a large part of your work as a a sexologist is helping women overcome any fear or obstacles or any negative associations with sex. But today we're focusing on, I guess, the light and more fun stuff. So tell us, does having regular sex actually help improve your overall health? Like what are the benefits? (laughs) There are lots of benefits. (laughs) Laughter is one of them. Um, uh, Sex is really good for our nervous system and If those two words don't mean much to you, then the nervous system is pretty much guiding everything that we do in our life and how we show up. So when we have sex, it brings us into this really beautiful, and I'm talking about good sex, not sex where you feel stressed or pressured in any way, but when you're really engaged and present, it brings your nervous system into a really, really sweet state that it's looking for a lot of the time. The state is called a flow state, and it's like a similar state that we're in when we're writing something really beautiful and heartfelt, we're creating art, we're playing with our children. There are a number of things in life that take us to this special state that our body really, really values. So being in that state in sex and doing things that are non-sexual that that bring you to that state is really, really healthy and it it flows out into all other aspects of life and work and relationships. So um, you've probably heard before that orgasm is really quite good for you and it is because it generates lots of bonding and a really beautiful neuropeptide called called oxytocin is released. It's just, yeah, it's all around really good for you, really good for your blood vessels, really good for all of your tissues, all of your pelvic organs, everything, blood flow, Warmth and love are excellent ingredients for um, for living a happy, healthy life, no matter what you look like, no matter what your age. Amazing. So what happens mentally during intercourse like and physically? Tell us a little bit more about perhaps on a cellular level, what happens? Hmm. So when we're engaged in sex, what's happening within the body is our brain starts to gently switch off some of its higher functions 
and starts going into its more primal functions, which is something that um, people kind of joke about, but we don't really realize is actually happening (laughs) on a physiological level. There's a little old um, kind of, um, you know, fact out there, and it still rings true, that our IQ actually drops a little bit when we're engaged in sex. And it's kind of easy to see why. Um, It's not just the blood flow going from the top of our head down into our genitals and our pelvic region, but it's also because what our body wants us to do in sex is to be in sex and be enjoying it. Sex feels good for a reason. It needs to feel good so that we keep doing it. This is beyond procreation, although that was probably the original intention. Um, Our bodies want to do it. Our bodies want that release. Our bodies want that experience. And what I really love about sex is sex that's not um, being done purely for procreation or or a purpose is that it's just a wonderful release and an excellent way to explore things that feel taboo or things that feel edgy, fantasies, exploration, fully curiosity. And I just think all of those qualities are excellent for living Um, really conducive to living a full life that doesn't feel repressed or like you're following all the rules or um, you're just going through the motions. It's a really active way of being engaged with life and being alive. Yeah, amazing. So is it really all about the orgasm though? Is that where the benefits lie with sex? Mm, In my opinion, no. Um, Orgasm is one piece of the sex pie, if that's a thing. We're making it a thing. (laughs) There's a sex pie and orgasm's one piece of it. Look, orgasm's wonderful. It's enjoyable to have that climax. Uh, Yes, we can feel a release from it. But if we place too much pressure or focus on orgasm, then we're missing out on all the other valuable forms of connection that happen before sex, during full play, um, and even after sex, which is something that lots of couples and people and dynamics neglect. It's like sex is done, we've had our orgasm, let's go to the bathroom, let's wipe ourselves off, let's go back to our you know, daily lives or let's just roll over and go to sleep. There's so much juice and and connection that can happen even just for 5, 10, 15 minutes when sex feels like it's come to a completion. And in fact, that can that that's what leaves the taste in our mouth. So it's 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 an important piece of how like as to how interested we are in doing sex again. Yeah, right. Does that come does that kind of make sense? sense. Like, makes we perfect put lots sense. of focus on the orgasm and the peak and it's like, but what about what about yeah. the after effects of that? What about the really lush way that we can cuddle and be silly and Absolutely. chat about things that we feel vulnerable about? It's, there's, a, there's a real opportunity there that I think a lot of people miss out on. Totally. What about, I learned recently, um, actually didn't learn it, but I spoke to a person recently about um, actually this interview with you and he was saying that he actually withholds. He, so he doesn't, he practices abstinence, well, what do you call that, where you stop yourself from ejaculating basically because he believes oh, okay, that each yep. time he does ejaculate, it actually, he loses life. The life force, mm-hmm. the jing, the chi, whatever mm-hmm. you want to call it. So, what's yep. your what's your thoughts on that? Um, both men and women, or all bodies, are pretty much designed to ejaculate. So, right. um, 
Yeah, just so just so our listeners know that um, ejaculation isn't isn't a male only thing, but um, everything in moderation and balance yeah, yeah, are my favorite yeah. <laughs> favorite kind of concepts. Look, I I do know of that um, of that approach and that. Um, but isn't it a need that, that men actually need to ejaculate like on a daily basis or something? Because obviously they they they're producing semen like on a daily basis where it's for women like we roll out an egg every month but for men isn't it a need that they actually have to ejaculate for some men um i don't think they have to i think they um i think it's healthy if they engage in it the the tipping point with ejaculation is that there are i don't know the statistics but there are a lot of men that are very dependent on the sensation yeah. and the release of it for, to manage their stress, yeah, right, and their anger and their depression. Yes, so um, it's it's it is it's when approached with the intention of I'm enjoying myself, I'm feeling in my body. Lots of men aren't in their bodies; they're you know they they might be up in their mind. It's when it's done with the intention of yeah being present and enjoying themselves. I, I think it's a really healthy release and it's good for the body. Um, I'm not a fan of absolutes, to be honest. There are not many things in sex that I'm absolute about. Okay. Um, so that's that's one thing where I'd definitely be more encouraging of men seeking that release unless they're willing to adopt um, a regular practice around non-ejaculating, which is what people who don't choose not to ejaculate do. They have other reinforcements in place. But simply telling someone without those reinforcements to not do it, I think is going to create more um, you know, more destruction yeah. than creation. Like it's, it's, it's not going to solve. Yeah, it's not going to solve the problem that it's Understand. Just out to address. Yeah, yeah, amazing. So, what about does the size, thickness, length of a penis really is it really that important? Does it matter to, a, to in order to achieve a deep orgasm? Like, is that something that you found in your like obviously in your work that's important <laughs> or not? Um, it's a it's a factor. It's not the most important factor, mainly because the main way that most women experience high levels of arousal and orgasm is still from the origins of the clitoris, right. which is um, an ex part a partly external structure, but a mostly internal structure, much like an iceberg. How you see the the tip, and then underneath yeah. there's the whole big um, bulbous. <laughs> Okay. Well, there's a bit of us. The clitoris is much the same. It's a wishbone-like structure, and we've got the glands with 8,000 nerve endings on the outside of our body. It actually wraps around um, the vaginal canal, and it's thought that the clitoris is, in fact, the origin of most um, forms of orgasmic expression with women. That's not to say it is the only source or that um, you should be able to orgasm through your clitoris or through other parts of your body. There's variation there. There's lots of leeway and room for, for movement and variables. But the reason why um, the size of what's entering us may not be necessarily indicative of pleasure is because it's more about um, what sort of external stimulation we're getting and um, what's happening in those in that original in that initial kind of third of the vagina. Yeah, right. Yes, the deep part is important because we do have nerve endings that go down that go run down from our brain down into the top down into our cervix and the top of our vagina, but we don't want to put all the emphasis on that because we could be missing out on other forms 
of pleasure and it could be a lose-lose for a couple. The man never feels really good about himself or about something that really isn't within his power to change and she's left frustrated thinking if it was bigger then I'd be having more pleasure. It can. It, I think it just calls for us to get really creative and if it's really, if it's something that a couple or a woman wants to focus on, then we've got great, um, great pleasure objects out there that can fulfill that need through self-pleasure or with a partner. There's yeah. great dildos out there these days. There's lots of wands like jade wands and all sorts of things that can um, stimulate um, closer, the, the, the top part of the vagina <laughs> and the top of the cervix, yeah. Yeah, awesome. So what actually happens when you orgasm and how many types of different orgasms can a female have? Endless. Endless, <laughs> okay. Endless, endless. <laughs> and there's also kind of blended orgasms where you're, where you're kind of mixing two together. Um, my my One thing I want to say to women is it can be, it can sound, it can be neglected, but um, one thing to really do is to, if you haven't orgasmed before, is to focus on the clitoris to start with. Um, not to stimulate it too directly, but through the hood, the gentle hood that covers it. It's very, very sensitive with all of those nerve endings, double what a man has on the glands of his penis. So to just really explore that with oil or lube and to just use your fingers to start, no vibrators or anything like that, just get really used to um, your own fingers and a gentler form of stimulation. Um, but to answer your question, what's happening in orgasm is um, we've got a cascade of, of um, neurotransmitters and bonding neuropeptides and hormones flooding our brain to make us feel really, really good. So it's part, um, it's part psychological experience, it's part emotional experience, it's part spiritual and it's part physiological. But basically it's, it's, it's something like well, orgasm has the potential to be something like an altered state. And it's a really special one. If you've ever orgasmed before, it can be really special. Um, yeah, so there's lots, of, there's lots of things going on, but the main thing that we all need to get to orgasm, which is easy to forget, is arousal. Yeah, you need right. to feel arousal. And it sounds might sound like Sex Ed 101, but it's, it's so easy for people to go, why isn't it happening? And they're getting stressed and they're getting flustered and they're getting frustrated and they're not spending enough time on quality forms of, t- yeah, build up, touch that's going to contribute to arousal. Arousal is heat and blood flow in your body. You can't expect to get to an orgasmic experience if your body is cold and you're not moving and um, you're not interested or engaged in what's happening. So that warmth, that movement in your body is going to give you a much better chance of getting to orgasm rather than lying there or um, remaining relatively still or quiet, you need more movement. You need to be a lot. You need to bring up the temperature in your body, yes. and that's why um, if you're not on hormonal contraceptives as a woman and you're ovulating, it's probably why you could be not only more interested in ah. sex but find it easier to orgasm because your body temperature yeah, is up right. a bit. Makes that it makes more perfect sense. Yep, we need heat. It's a big missing ingredient from lots of bedrooms. They are not only physically cold, but she is internally cold. She's not warmed up. Yeah. And um, that heat is the bridge to our orgasm. Interesting. So can you explain what hormones are released during physical touch? 
Um, oxytocin yep. is released during physical touch. So, yep, that's our bonding one. That's one that lots of people associate with breastfeeding and, yes. and having babies and labour. Yep. Um, but it also we also have the opportunity to seek it through sexual and non-sexual forms of touch. Even just um, a six-second kiss with your partner or a 30-second hug with someone yeah. gives you the opportunity to start to um, start release. to experience the release of oxytocin. Beautiful. And a really beautiful fact that I learned this year that I actually didn't know, and I was like, where has this fact been all my life, is that your heart has oxytocin receptors. What that means is that your heart is primed for bonding and connecting with people. Like Amazing. We cannot... None of us can do this alone. Yeah, um, right. We all need to be connected to other people. Yeah. And self-pleasure is a wonderful thing. Really nice if it can be balanced with some really good quality partner sex, you know, when it feels right for us and with the right person. It's just, it just gives it that, that little edge, um, yeah, to feeling feeling love, feeling the feeling of love. You don't have to love them, but you can yeah. feel that love, that love for yourself and yeah, feeling, feeling pleasure. Maybe yeah. that's how the hug parties became popular because people were craving that physical mm. touch and release yep. of the oxytocin. Yep. And this is how they beca- became popular, popular was we live in a – we live in a time um, people are still very touch-phobic. Yes. I think we're improving, but in, on the whole, people are very touch-phobic. People um, are very live lives where they're devoid of touch. And yeah. um, it might not be your love language. It might not be the thing that you're really called to do, but we all need touch in some way, shape, or form. Absolutely. We all do, even if it's not... Like some people just cannot like feel the absence of touch so... Um, so distinctly and other people are like, no, nah, I don't need to get massages, doesn't really do anything for me. We still need something even if it's not, um, we're not hardwired to love it. Yeah. We all need a little bit of something. Absolutely. Yeah, that acknowledgement. So how can a woman improve um, her libido? Um, increase her libido. All right. Um, this kind of this answer kind of circles back to yeah. the first question that you asked. So um, women, I want you to know if you live in stress, Yeah. If busy is your second name, if you're like, if you're entrenched in, yep, if you're entrenched in helping and making sure everyone else is okay and being a people pleaser, you're probably not going to be feeling your libido. Yeah, right. Um, Well, that's because you're empty, right? You're you're depleted. Yeah, you're empty. You're totally depleted. Yeah. Totally depleted. It's not, it's your body, basically what's happening is, and your body and your nervous system rule. Like, over, you might give yourself all the affirmations in the world, like, I can be sexual, I'm sexual of that. But if your body doesn't have the message that it's safe to be sexual or that um, you're that you're really willing to engage it in being sexual, it's not gonna, just going to suddenly switch on. The best thing that you can do for yourself is, A, give yourself space, even if it feels scary, even if you feel like, but I'm not being purposeful or I'm not generating anything. You're body needs space to come down and to process everything that it's trying to get through every day. And it's in that space that your libido can just gently tap you on the shoulder and go, hey, I'm still here. I've just gone quiet. We can't hear our libido if we're drowning it out with tasks and obligations and to-do lists and making sure everyone else is okay. And sex is not self-sacrifice. Self is not, sex is not something that we do 
to make sure someone else is happy or satisfied. It requires us to be 50% of the engagement, 50% of the, you know, of the interaction. And we're never going to be psyched for it for as long as we go, I don't mind, whatever you want to do, whatever makes you happy, whatever feels good for you. And we're, you know, we're not allowing ourselves to receive or to be acknowledged or to get attention. And the really paradoxical thing about women is that we're all craving that. We're all craving good quality attention and acknowledgement and to be heard and understood. Absolutely. Um, So you need that in your daily life. And then bringing those qualities into sex is so much easier. If you don't allow yourself to do it by day, if you fob off every compliment you get from people, you're probably not going to be feel at ease about your partner looking and admiring your body or going down on you or pleasuring you or seeing you in pleasure. Those things aren't going to feel comfortable if someone's saying, I really like your cardigan and you fob it off straight away going, this old thing, I don't like that. You know, what about your cardigan? Your cardigan's beautiful. Like just all those little things, interactions in life actually have a lot of weight for libido. So moving your body, giving yourself space, um, genuinely connecting with girlfriends, not just like trying to recreate sex in the city with lots of booze and like (laughs) (laughs) like all of that stuff. Like genuine heartfelt connections and conversations are so good for your libido. Absolutely. So good. You need to be seen. You need to allow yourself, someone to ask you a question and for you to genuinely answer, not just, you know, push the conversation back to them. It's all these things. Really, our libido notices is what I'm trying to say. It's super hard, though, when you've got a young family to, mm. you know, to maintain a healthy sex life with your partner, I think, um, only because you are being pulled in so many different directions and your focus is on raising the kids or cooking or cleaning or getting places on time and all that. So um, what? how often should people be having sex to maintain some level of, I guess, a healthy relationship? Um, there's a really good uh, study that I came across maybe about a year and a half ago, and for the life of me, I can't find it. it was a, someone made a wonderful infographic out of it. Yeah. But the the crux of it was that um, when researchers said to couples, "Have sex three times a week. You have to have sex three times a oh week." God. Um, it became really disincentivizing um, for couples. Yeah. They they found that they didn't want to do it anymore. They felt really pressured. They yeah. felt like they were trying to force something to happen and then their frequency started to decline. Yeah, right. When couples are given the given permission to be like, look, have one quality one to two quality interactions a week and I would say it doesn't have to be intercourse every time, whatever your definition of that. Um, and it being inclusive of all bodies, it doesn't have to be anything where penetration happens. Um, I, I fully believe, and my own personal approach as a, um, as someone in a long-term relationship is, um, if I have one to two quality interactions a week, I think we are doing very well, very well. We're feeding that, um, we're feeding that, you know, sexual piggy bank of ours. We're acknowledging each other and we're not forcing things or trying to, um, trying to push sex happening because Oh my gosh, it's been twice and we have to do it three times. Yes, I think, yeah. I think one, one to two times a week is a really nice, really good sweet spot if yeah. you are 
pulled in multiple directions. Yeah. And over the course of the year, that adds up to 52 interactions or occasions, maybe more, um, maybe maybe a little bit less. You know, just you know, life happens. You know, depression happens, grief happens, postpartum happens. You know, it's just giving a little bit of room for leeway. Yeah. But I think it's a it's quality. Really focus on the quality rather than the frequency. Okay, got it. And is sex mm. better when you are emotionally involved with a person or connected to someone, or do you think with a stranger it can be just as good, or is it case by case? That's very dependent on the individual. I'd love to give a really concrete answer, but um, it's really dependent on what um, the individual feels and what their level of safety is. For some people, we know, um, there are some people that feel more enticed by sex um, when there's a degree of thrill and, dare I say, stress involved. Like, okay. I don't know this person and maybe we could get caught and yeah, yeah. I'm in a new place and all of that context it's is arousing. really, really thrilling. Yeah. It, arousing, yeah. exactly. Yeah. For other people, that same scenario could be so threatening and feel so yes, triggering safe. almost. Yeah, yeah. But unsafe. Someone says, I don't know this person. I don't know where I'm in a new city. Um, someone could find me. So one person's turn on can be another person's turn off. Yes. So that's very, very individual. Yeah, right. And, um, yeah, it's all about whether um, your body associates sex more with thrill or sex more with connection and that can that can change over the course of your lifespan that could change week to week it's not necessarily you're always hardwired for thrill or you're always hardwired for connection it's it's more about what's you know all these different factors that are going on in your life in that moment and you know it might be a reason why backpackers feel you know <laughs> for example when you're traveling <laughs> it doesn't you know, have to be a backpacker but um when you're traveling like people do things that they wouldn't normally do when they're in their home yes. city because yeah. there's this degree of anonymity yeah so that freedom. context is a yeah. really big word yep freedom that context is a really big word in um in in the sexuality community because it's really influential. Um, me personally, I'm hardwired for connection. Um, I always have been. And it can also, you also might want to look at your personality profile through Myers-Briggs, whether you're an extrovert or introvert can be um, slightly influential on that as well. Absolutely. Yeah, that's interesting. Mm. I remember years ago mm. I did a, a tantra yoga course and one the lady that was running it taught us an acronym, um, KISS, the KISS acronym. So communication, which leads to intimacy, then leads to sensuality, which then essentially leads to sex. But So basically when, when women don't want sex, it always goes back to something is missing with the communication because if they feel unheard or like you were saying earlier, like women need attention, they need affirmation, all of that before they get to the point of physical touch. So do you think um, if couples follow that acronym of the KISS, the communication first, then that leads towards good intimacy and sen feeling sensual, and then sex, is that a sure way to increase that desire and the, the frequency, I guess? I definitely think you get a, big, a better, uh, I definitely think you've got a better chance of sexual expression being an organic flow-on effect of those initial parts of the acronym most definitely one asterisk i will put on that is um and this is because i've seen women who experience it differently there are some couples where those other facets of communication and intimacy are so high yeah. that they don't 
your sexual desire or interest for their partner. Oh, just the short version. Yeah, yeah. So I'm going to say yes if things. If yes, if you're not in a good place, yes, that acronym is an excellent could could create wonderful stepping stones to get back into sexual intimacy. Yes, Um, but if those things are already exceptionally high and you're not interested in sex, what could be happening is your lives have become a little bit too enmeshed and dependent on each yeah, other. Right. So, Interesting. Yeah, yeah. So I've had clients that come and go, I don't know what's happened. We're best friends. We tell each other everything. Um, we do everything together. We're always holding hands. We're always, you know, like, we spend all of our time together and all we work together. And so, like, okay, and I listen and I listen and I listen and I and I'm, and I'm slowly just trying to understand how they're separate from each other, yeah. which might sound like a bit of a paradox, but you actually need to be separate from someone. Absolutely. To feel close to, feel close to them. Yes. Like, you need your own space. Those lines. Yeah, you need your own space. You need your own identity. You need to know where you end and they begin. Yes. Not every moment of every day because coming together in sex and intimacy can create that union. So I'm not, I'm not being not creating a hard rule sorry, hard rule around that. But you do you need to have your own interests, your own hobbies, your own friends, your own outlets basically, your own um, you know, to work out on your own, to maybe go to the shops on your own. Like some couples are like, we do all the shopping together, we do oh, all God. of this together, we do yeah. all and it's like You need to have the me within the week. Too much. Yes. It's, yes. <laughs> yes. I love how you put that. It's too much. You're saturating the relationship yes. and you're killing the pain. Absolutely. So okay. is good. You need to miss people every now and again. Yes, you need to, healthy. You need, to, you need to think about them and please stop texting and calling your partner five times a day. It's not healthy. Yes, <laughs> yeah, exactly. You can do this on your own. <laughs> um, that independence is really, is really a turn on. Feeling confident in your own identity is such a turn on. No one wants needy. <laughs> So, yeah, so sorry, that's not quite the answer that you're looking for, but it's something that's a great answer for airtime. Yeah, yeah, exactly. (laughs) So, and what are the keys, like with long term partners, and like what's the key to having a healthy sex life with a long term partner? Like, I've been married, it's coming up to 18 years. So, any tips and tricks you got? (laughs) Congratulations. That would be good to hand Yeah, tell me. What are the keys to make? I mean, I know what works for us, but what, in your opinion, is a key to having a healthy sex life with a long-term partner? Is to acknowledge when things are going well and to acknowledge when things aren't going so well and what needs your attention again. Um, I think it's really about it's easy to go, oh, things are going good. We don't have to do anything. You know, things can just cruise and things can cruise for a while. But to just start notice maybe a few little red flags popping up that you're not as connected. Maybe frequency has, um, not even frequency, but sexual quality or talk about it or playfulness. I think when playfulness goes out of the relationship, that should be a red flag. Yes. Have you guys laughed together lately? Yes. Have you tickled each other? Have you gotten a bit cheeky? Like, is one of you trying to do it and the other one's like stone cold, like icy about it? Like what, yeah, what's, um, are you spending more time like messaging, chatting other people than you are your partner? Like, just what, what, yeah, what's going on, and what, um, what, where does the relationship need your attention? So, um, I think a really good sex life 
is okay with the ups and downs and knows that there are more ups and downs coming. Hopefully. Like there are more ups coming is is what I'm trying to say. But to just be okay with the fact that there's probably going to be some downs as well. Like if someone gets made redundant, they might not feel that sexy. Yes, um, yes, yes. Yeah, or if someone loses their parent, yeah. um, if someone passes on, you know, that, or if a child gets sick or, yeah. you know, just that the, these things could affect sexual quality and frequency. Um, I think something I really want to share with people is um, a really great old study called the Good Enough Sex Model. And what they found was that um, with couples, they, with couples that said that they had a good sex life, they said that 85% of the time our sex is good or better. And what I love about that is it leaves this like 15% buffer yes. for the times where sex felt flat or it wasn't happening or it was just plain awkward. Maybe it was even a little bit painful because that can happen to either person. Um, yeah, to just, or things just got suddenly stopped, like just for whatever, whatever reason. I love that. It's so realistic. Absolutely. So compassionate. It's just not, sex is amazing and transcendental all the time. Well, it keeps it real, doesn't it? We're human at the end of the day. That's right. Yeah. Yeah, that's right. So I love that. So if you have a sex class that's good or better 85% of the time, you're doing really well. And if it deviates from that a little bit, I, think, I still think you're doing really well. Be so compassionate because being hard on yourself or putting pressure on sex is never going to make you more psyched to do it. Absolutely. So what about, like, for women who are pre-peri or post-menopausal, rather, obviously the body goes through lots of changes and it's, um, you know, women can complain about, obviously weight gain's one side effect of menopause, but there's so many others as well. So what's the key to ensuring, like, a solid sex life during during that period of a, that transition in a woman's life? It's to embrace the transition, yeah. to embrace that yeah. transition from um, from into the new state, into the stage of being the crone, into the stage of being the wise woman. I love women that are pre-peri or post-menopausal because the, the wisdom that they impart is just gold. Yes. They get to the point, they don't beat around the bush and they know what it's like to be where you've been. So to really embrace the fact that you're coming into a new stage of life, that you have something to offer yourself, your pleasure, your partner, your family, it might look a little bit different, but to know that it's not any less valued. And I, I, my, my perception is that we're appreciating women um, that are menopausal, postmenopausal more than um, it's like we've kind of coming full circle back to really appreciating them, and to know that you're still sexual even though your body has changed or your estrogen levels have changed, and that there are so many people working tirelessly out there to ensure that menopausal women have a more enjoyable sexual experience. But it starts with you. It starts with you being owning that. I'm in a new chapter. I'm not trying to recreate sex um, that I had in my 20s or 30s or early 40s. Yeah. It's in a new state, and you have a new, um, you kind of have a newfound sense of liberation because you, you're not at risk of falling pregnant. Yes, yeah. <laughs> you know, uh, yeah, yeah. Your kids might have left the home, um, kids or no kids. Like you just might be in a new stage new stage of life and liberation maybe works winding down a little bit maybe it's r- ramping up a bit because people are really going wow she's an expert she's an elder yes so just 
embrace it like no and and don't become invisible one of my menopausal clients said to me um when she and the first call I had with her was I feel like I'm invisible don't become invisible show yourself let us know remind us that you've got so much value and that you are still you still have a libido don't go hiding yourself or you know squirreling your talents and your genius away we need your wisdom and we need your advice absolutely and you need your pleasure yes (laughs) you need your pleasure and you're worthy of that you've done your time of you know, hard work. Yeah. And some just embrace, you know, um, a different way of life. Absolutely. So is it true like women peak around their forties? Um that's a hard one to answer. I know that that kind of gets bandied around a little bit. I my this is a little bit controversial. I think you can have a sexual peak whenever you want to have a sexual peak. Okay. I think you can choose <laughs> to go yeah, I, honestly, I think he can be 27 years old and go, actually, I'm going to find out more about myself. You can be, you know, 18 months postpartum and go, you know what? My body just did something amazing and now I'm going to choose to be a mama and be sexual and this is my time to explore that. I just, I think it can happen at any stage. I wonder, I don't know the original research around that or where that 40s idea came from. I just wonder if it's a blend of we're still cycling, so estrogen still present and higher than it is in menopause, but we're kind of lost that we're giving less fucks about what other people think. Yes. So I wonder if it's just that time where it's just there's a bit of a balancing act where we're, we've still got the hormones at, well, our hormones are declining, but we've still got a good dose of them. Um, maybe and, we've had our children. Yeah. Yeah. And I just think, I mean, for a lot of the women I know, everyone talks about, you know, they're more comfortable in their skin. Um, mm. Yeah. They feel more, yeah, I guess, overall confident in the bedroom. They've learned their tips and tricks over the years with various partners. So, yeah. you know, they're, they're prime, they're peaking and they're actually craving it more in their, I think, anyway, with my circle of girlfriends, a lot of them say they're craving more physical connection in their 40s. So yeah. It, yeah. it may be like you're saying as well, the kids have grown up and they've kind of, they're coming back into their own sexual power, perhaps. Yeah. Yeah, I think that plays a big role. I, I just think we have a greater level of comfort, and maybe some and some women in their forties have been through just divorce or separation, and have found a partner that's actually much better suited to them than their previous long-term partner or husband. Yeah, um, yeah. So I think yeah, I think it's a really potent time for a lot of things coming together or, or kind of slotting into place. Yeah. Um, yeah. Interesting. Yeah, I think it's a, yeah, a bit of a cauldron of. Yes, like you said, sexual power and just wanting a deeper life. Like we've been through the super, you know, kind of like the superficial phases of like things looking good, yes. maybe like having certain beauty standards. Yes, or, yes, yes. You know that, and we've gone. Actually, that's not all there is to life. Is the way I look. It's about the way I feel. Yes. Yeah. 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 Exactly. Exactly. Interesting. Mm. So, what are your top three mm. tips then on how to have um, longer and stronger physical connection with a partner? Longer and stronger physical connection <laughs> to your partner. <laughs> um, it goes back to a lot of the things that we've touched on, but one thing I really, um, you know, with, with what you were saying with the kids acronym and all of that, but one thing I want to say is you, you've really got to bring novelty into your relationship. Yeah. And I don't mean like 
five tips to spice up your bedroom tonight. I'm not talking that. I'm talking getting out of your house, doing um, activities or... Playing dress-ups. Um, yeah, yeah. <laughs> well, it could be playing dress It could be going to cosplay or something like that. Yeah. You know, like dress you up, well, you know, fantastical. Um, <laughs> I may have a husband that enjoys doing that. Um, <laughs> but, um, but it's about getting out and doing dates that are novel. Do not just stick to all the places that you know and trust and it's predictable. And, like, there's comfort in that, but comfort isn't very exciting. So um, something I did earlier this year with my husband was that we went ziplining and holy shit, it was so good. It was so <laughs> good. It got my blood, like it totally got yes. my heart going nice in all rush. the right ways. Yep. It felt thrilling, but still not so thrilling that I was sh- that I was scared. Does yes. that make sense? Yes. So it's like this sweet spot of feeling like good excited. Good amount of adrenaline. And a good amount, yeah, yeah, yeah. And just doing stuff like that once every couple of months, I think, could really keep the thread of a relationship going. So just think outside the box. Stop being a stickler. Stop thinking you know. You already know whether you're going to like or not like something. And yep. I'm talking to myself here. I'm someone who <laughs> likes to plan and you know and likes things a certain way. But don't be so excited in your way yeah. that you get rid yeah that you get rigid and that's not very sex is very very curiosity driven and if we're not curious about our lives we're not going to be very curious in the bedroom so just step outside your comfort zone a little be in new places get some new stimuli going new sights new sounds new smells so travel I think is so good for the libido um, and just re-engage with life just get out of your comfort zone and what you know really good for the senses yeah um, so there's obviously a relationship between having pleasure in a daily life in your daily life and at a cellular level when your body is releasing endorphins your body wants to be here wants to live longer so is it safe to say the more sex, more orgasms that you experience, the more endorphins then are released and then therefore the less stress your body is under or it manages stress better because you're releasing more endorphins to balance out and to negate the effects of stress. Therefore, less disease can manifest in the body, which equates to living longer. Do you think that's fair to say? (laughs) A bit long-winded, but... Yes. (laughs) you say yes? Yes. (laughs) Can we have a one-word answer Yes. Yes. Yes, yes, and... And the, the yes, yes, as long as you're not forcing it, as long as you're not like, I've got to have my fourth orgasm for the week or I've got to, like as long as it doesn't become a, a, like a, a part of this routine or this like really structured yeah, life right. that, where you have to do it. Yeah, most, def- like, most definitely. It's um, still got to be a bit spent, that, spontaneous. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Just still, just still make room for the spontaneous because that's really good. Um, yeah, really good for like being engaged and feeling excited. Um, yes, definitely. I, I definitely, anecdotally, yes, I definitely believe that. I, when I work with women, honestly, the difference between how they look in the first session yes. to the like fifth or sixth session, I wish I could capture. I wish it. I could do a before and after photo. Like the glow is, it's not. The glow is like so deep. It's not makeup. It's not dependent on what they're wearing. Yeah, it's just enough. so organic. Beautiful. It's, all, it's so inner. Um, it's just amazing. The posture, like the the skin pallor, like the way that their eyes, like the lack of brightness in their eyes, and just what changes. And it's not necessarily the sex that's changing them, although that plays a role. It's the getting to know themselves yeah, and right. feel comfortable, feeling empowered, with being sexual. That. 
feeling empowered. Yeah. That's the real game changer. It's, it is about the, the partner and their relationship, but mostly it's not. It's about her and it's about her finding something for herself that she either thought was dead or that she didn't have at all. Like that is like the, that's the life changing response is finding that light inside of you. Yes. And oh, it's just, yeah. So yes, I definitely think it goes beyond what we can see or what a blood test can pick up on. Yeah. Amazing. Your work is so necessary, Lauren. So amazing chatting <laughs> to you. We could chat for days on this topic, but tell us how can people yeah. find more about you? Uh, my website is my portal to all of this work. There's an abundance of free sex advice there and videos, everything. So that's laurenwhite.com.au. And um, like you said, Vicky, I'm based in Brisbane, but I also work with women online as well. So don't let location be a barrier. Um, and on social media, my handle is Lauren White AU. So L A U R E N W H I T E A U. And I'm quite active on Instagram. Yes, you are. You're amazing. You're absolutely amazing. <laughs> and you are the last guest for this year. So thank you so much. Um, we hope you have thank a you. wonderful Christmas and New Year. And um, I know it's, I mean, obviously with the weather heating up as well, there's going to be a lot more um, people feeling amorous out and about. So <laughs> thank you for your tips and thanks for teaching me about the, the body temperature because I think that was, I didn't know that, that that was a relationship between why women, uh, yeah, come, like yeah. that saying of coming into heat. Yeah. A heat pack is a game yep, little heater and a heat pack and wearing socks are game changers. I've got a friend who's a physio who laughs at me. He's like, you're always banging on about socks. Yeah. I'm like, I'm banging on about it because if our bodies are warm, we're going to have a better <laughs> chance of feeling arousal and orgasm. So make sure you're warm. Yes. Well, summer's perfect, right? <laughs> it's Everyone's feeling it. We're all yeah. on heat. Yep. Brilliant. Bring it on. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. <laughs> Thank you, Lauren. Have a great festive season. You're so welcome. Thanks Take for having care. me. No worries. Thank you. You too. Bye. Bye. So thanks everyone for joining me over the last few months. It's been an amazing little journey that we've started with the podcast One Body, One Life. So the next one is on the 6th of Jan with David Burns and I wish you all a wonderful festive season, a very Merry Christmas and a safe, happy, healthy New Year and look forward to getting your feedback and questions and comments in the New Year. Thank you. Thank you.